Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. So prepare the way for the Lord. We're not going to talk about Jesus yet because we're anticipating his arrival. Christmas hasn't come yet. I know we've got our trees and I've had mine up for over two weeks and no regrets, no no apologies. But Jesus isn't here yet in the story. Advent is anticipating the arrival. Adventus is the word. And Adventus references a specific event. A specific event that comes from Roman time, and if you didn't know, our New Testament was written during Roman times, and so a lot of the images that we have, a lot of the titles for Jesus even come from Rome and Caesar and those practices, because that was the power of the day, and so to explain the power arriving in Jesus, they used words and images of the day. So Adventus is the anticipation of the arrival of someone important, usually a Caesar. We probably prepared for the arrival of people in your home or someone else's home over the last week. You probably did some things differently during the week in preparation, I hope. You don't want want someone to show up and see that you didn't make the bed, right? Because everyone goes straight to the room to check. (laughs) You prepared your space. And in a grander way, of course, if Caesar were coming or if we pictured someone of power, maybe the president, people would come long beforehand, wouldn't they? They would prepare the space. They would get everything ready and make sure nothing was going to be a surprise. They would make sure everyone knew what to do. And in Caesar's time, what not to do, what to wear, what not to wear, what to say, what not to say. And you would get everything ready. The herald would come and announce the coming. But the coming wasn't just yet. And so Adventus is our time, Advent, when we are hearing the herald who came before Christ to announce the coming and announce, prepare the way for the Lord. We call him John the Baptist. You may know him that way. I call him John the Herald because that was his purpose. So our study and and our focus in Advent is going to be on John. But John had parents. So let's start with his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're going to set the stage a little bit for our reading so that when we do our reading, you have somewhat of an idea of what's happening in the reading. And so Malachi is a prophet from the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. It's the final voice in our Protestant Bibles from the Old Testament. If you turn to the very end right before Matthew, you have Malachi. Malachi is placed there specifically. Because in non-Protestant Bibles, Malachi may not be there. In Jewish Bibles, Malachi is not the last word. But in our Protestant Bibles, our faith, Malachi is. And the last chapter of Malachi is five verses, and it reads this. Malachi says, See, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. You see the the tree imagery. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts." Remember the teaching of my servant Moses, the statutes and ordinances that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah 
before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. It's the word of God for the people of God in Malachi. Thanks be to God. You see why this is the end, the last word before we hear from the herald, the Elijah, as it turns out, waiting for this great and terrible day. Of course, they had a different perspective on what this day was, which is why they struggled with Jesus, because it wasn't so great and terrible, was it? But these are the final verses. People of Zechariah's day longed for the day of the Lord to come because they had been on the underside of power, getting stomped on by Rome and Greeks and Assyrians and you name it. They've just always resided under the boot. And they're, they're ready for evil to no longer have a place. We can identify with this. Amen? While we may not be under a boot, we know the presence of evil. Everyone longed for it then. We long for it now. Zechariah, John's father, he is the opening scene of the gospel we call Luke. He is in the temple. The gospel begins in the temple. Each group of priests, there were 24 of them, would serve two weeks in the temple at different times. And then they would cast lots. And one priest from the group would enter into the temple to burn incense at the altar. A once in a lifetime, if you're lucky, twice. If you were older like Zechariah, maybe twice in a lifetime event. And that is our opening scene. And so let us now hear from Luke 1, verses 5 through 17. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abiah. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. What a nice way to say it. Once when he was serving as priest before God during his section's turn of duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn away or turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The word of God in scripture, the word of God among us, the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Hopefully that made a little more sense. What's going on there? The faith of Zechariah and Elizabeth, they followed all the commandments and ordinances of God. They were blameless. Whew. How many of us can say that? No. But they have no children, and they're getting on in age. So nice. This would have been 
seen by some of their contemporaries as a sign that they were somehow disapproved of by God, that God had something against them because God's the giver of life and here's a couple and God blesses a couple with life and yet they were denied this. They didn't quite understand things the way that we do. A life that uh, doesn't have children would have been one that would have been of shame. You don't have anybody to carry on the name of the Father. Now, we know that God has nothing against them. It says they are blameless. We know that. Some things haven't gone to plan as they had hoped. They didn't know they were chosen, and they sat for many years probably praying for children and as someone who has also struggled with infertility issues for several years. This is not a small piece of the story. This is a every few weeks reminder that it's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening again and again and again. Lots of tears, frustrations, questions. And that was just seven years of Lauren and I's struggle. Zechariah and Elizabeth spent their whole lives wondering why. But they remained faithful. Isn't that amazing? How many of us would continue to be so faithful after continuing to experience an unanswered prayer again and again? Faithful is more about trusting. You choose to be faithful. You choose to trust. Belief is not, I wouldn't equate that with faith, because you either believe something or you don't. When's the last time you chose to believe something and you believed it? It doesn't really work like that. But faith, trust, that is a choice. And that faith comes from a hope that we have in God and all that God can do. Like Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had the promise of their four fathers and mothers, of their ancestors about the promise God would come, would bring the Elijah, would make all things right. So even if they felt let down by God, and I don't know that they did, maybe they didn't, I know they felt let down, maybe not by God. However they felt, they maintained their hope. They maintained their faith, and that's incredible. They were blameless before God. Zechariah served faithfully in the priesthood kept coming, kept doing all that there was to do. And if you want to go and read Leviticus and hear about all the things you had to do as a priest, you'd understand Zechariah was committed. And then he walked into the, the Holy of Holies, maybe the only time in his life. I don't know what that would have felt like exactly. So he goes in there with whatever he's carrying with him, and he burns incense, and he offers a prayer. But what, what was he praying for in the temple exactly? We might assume he was praying for a child, but I don't think he was. It says your prayer has been heard. That's what Gabriel said to him. But what prayer? I think there's some pretty substantial evidence that it wasn't for children, so let me offer it. You don't have to agree with me. One, he's there to offer incense to God, this once-in-a-lifetime. There was something you were supposed to go in there and do and pray for. You were to pray on behalf of the people and to pray for God's favor to be upon Israel. That's what you were there to do. Maybe he would have felt it was inappropriate to bring his personal list into the time standing before God, because you don't stand before God unless you are blameless. But maybe he did. I would like to think he prayed for the suffering his people were enduring under the oppression of Rome. My biggest piece of evidence is when he learns that he's having a son, he's completely shocked and thinks that's no way. That's impossible. If he'd just been praying that, and then God came and said, okay, you're going to have an answer to your prayer, I don't think he would have been like, well, uh, what? Hold the phone. He says, I'm an old man, and my wife, well, she's 
She's advanced in her age. That's what he says. And we know what happened. He struggled to have faith, and he was silenced. But he went into that temple to pray for his people, and God said, your prayer has been heard. He prayed for God to have favor upon them. That's what you do when you go in the temple. That's what a priest is all about. That's what the priesthood is all about. It's much more than themselves. While God certainly cared about Zechariah and Elizabeth, obviously, by gracing them with a child and all the fun of pregnancy and her advanced age, right? Yeah, she's excited in some ways. Not in others, but the priests, they represent God to the people, and they represent the people to God. They're the middle people. That's what priests do. They prepare themselves to stand in the presence of God, to offer the prayers of the people, and then maybe they hear something from God. They definitely follow the ordinances to then go among the people and exemplify the kind of life you live in the presence of God. It's a commitment. He prayed for favor on the people, and that's exactly what we find in the opening scenes, isn't it? He was favored. His wife was favored. Mary was favored. We are the beneficiaries of what was promised so long ago, what came to fruition 2,000 years ago in our reading today. Through the first coming of Jesus Christ, we are made worthy into priests, aren't we? The priesthood of all believers. It's something I've heard lifted up in this congregation many times, and I love that because you are priests. You are a people who represent everyone else to God and who represents God to other people. We strive to be blameless, don't we? Not because our effort makes us worthy. No, we're already worthy through Christ. We try to be blameless in our gratitude for God's grace. We strive to be blameless because we hope that Jesus is going to come back again and we choose to have faith that it is so. This is our hope, amen? We have faith. Jesus is coming back. We're walking through this time of Advent, retelling that story so that we can anticipate the second coming. We're preparing the way for the Lord in our own hearts. Are you prepared? Or do you need to make the bed in your heart? You need to go to that place that's hidden away and maybe put that in order too. We all do. We want to help our own people and each other be prepared, yes? We want to help the world be prepared. So what are we praying for when we stand in the presence of God as a priesthood of all believers? Do we spend our time praying on behalf of others? In our Advent study, prayer is lifted up as a way for us to strengthen our connection to God. It's not a wish list that we might compile for Santa Claus. We're not trying to be nice so that we get our gifts, right? That's not how it works. Although sometimes we pray like that because we need to, and we need God to give us whatever it is. Maybe it's, you know, a, I remember praying for a good test grade when I didn't study, but I know I sometimes pray for healing for those who are hurt and sick. Prayer helps us stay connected. So during this Adventist time, I invite you to pray. And what, what prayer better to start with than the Lord's Prayer? So let's walk through this prayer real quick. It's not a list of requests. It may sound like that at first, but it's not. First, we choose to regard God as the head of our household, of our family, the name by which we get our identity, the name that we also are in connection with like a parent and a child because the word for father in the scripture is Abba. It's an intimate, sweet word. 
and father in their time was the head of the household. It may not be the case today, but you can picture that we are part of that family and we're honoring it as such. We are priests of God and no one else. And then we commit to live on earth the reality that already exists in heaven where evil has no place. We pray to live that kind of life, which means we trust that God will provide us with what we need. Maybe it's daily bread. It's probably not lavish foods or excess. Those tend to cause us more harm than good. Maybe that's not appropriate to pray a few days after Thanksgiving. Then we pray, help us let go of past pain and disappointment that others have caused, just as you have let go of the pain and disappointment we have caused. And it doesn't mean you don't put up good boundaries with people. You absolutely do. What it means is how I treat you in my mind and my heart, how I think of you, how I pray for you, is not going to be defined by what you did. It's going to be defined by who I know God knows you to be, maybe deep, deep down. But I want to fixate on that, just as God fixates on that part of me. And then finally, we place our hope in God. No matter what comes, God will be with us. The place that we put our faith is in God because everything belongs to God anyway, the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So therefore, as we go from this place, oh, I got, I got 10 more minutes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Thinking about our prayer and our calling as priests, let us place our hope in God this Advent. The God who hears our prayer, the God who calls us to the priesthood, and the God who prepares the way for the Lord in and through us. Let us acknowledge our hardships in life. Let us be there for one another, the pain, the grief, the frustrations, the disappointments, but let it not affect our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let us pray that God will bring favor upon all the earth in the redemption of all things, that all people's relationships with one another might be turned the right way. And this starts with us. If we, the church, aren't doing that, who else would? If anyone else has a reason bigger than the church, I've got some serious questions. We should have the biggest reason of all. So choose to have faith that God hears your prayer, that God will answer your prayer, and that in and through us, until Jesus comes, God will bring those answers to fruition in the way that we live and love. Amen? Amen. We thank you for worshiping with us. And it is our hope that through the Holy Spirit, you have felt the touch of God upon your life. If you would like to know more about our church and its ministries, please visit our website at sellersburgumc.com. Dot com.